This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. My name is Peter Gowers and uh, one of the co-hosts joining me tonight, Mr. Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? Just one of, mate. Just one of, yeah. Just uh, one. Good to go. Always uh, happy to be here on a Thursday night uh, with Walshy. Well, let's introduce him. The other co-host on Weekends with, with Walshy is the man himself, Mr. Christopher Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. How are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, guys. Good to see you again this week. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Looks like uh, we've got a fair chunk of what we're going to talk about involves the letter C. Um <laughs> <laughs> and it's not see you in the NT. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think somebody's being called that over this. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It seems to be the big thing dominating. You know, like you wonder. Like I was driving into a meeting uh, yesterday morning with someone, and I heard on the radio, you know, top story: two businesses have been broken to overnight. Mm-hmm. Now, anywhere else is that really the top news story for the day? But. You know, here with everything that's been going on and that this has become such a hot button issue for, I think, people in Darwin and Palmerston, certainly, and of course, in Alice Springs. So it's a territory wide thing. And so, uh, yeah, any type of thing that happens now involving crime is going to make the the top of the news. And uh, until, I guess, such time as people feel safe or feel that, that, you know, that it's being addressed properly by the government that has a responsibility to do it. And at this time, I mean, and we'll get into some of the stories about what happened this week. It's still hard to see how, you know, even with some comments made uh, by the chief minister acknowledging some issues, you know, that still more people were upset about it. And mm. they're just not getting it, that satisfaction that, that it's being taken seriously and that some solutions are going to be on the table to at least stop the, what seems to be and perceived to be this this kind of um, spree, this kind of crime outbreak um, that's been that's been really upsetting people. So yeah, that is still a huge issue this week, and I'm I'm sure that uh, the the chief minister wants it to go away. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like it is, and, and this has been going on kind of since before Christmas, and now it's really you know come to a head here. Escalating. Mm. Well, I guess it leads us nicely into the first article. Uh, well, probably we shouldn't say nicely in a way, but uh, following on from our conversation last week, the uh, the opposition have come out and said that kids' fears over crime is incredibly serious and can't be ignored. Yeah, that's right, Pete. So, yeah, you remember last week we were talking about this uh, research that I happened to stumble across I guess I was the only journalist in town who stumbled across it on the conversation <laughs> website late one night. And I thought, why isn't anyone talking about this? This is remarkable. And this is so it's on the conversation, as I said, uh, website that was national. Um, I don't know if it was like buried in there. Anyway, I found it on some aggregate site. And I thought, wow, like, you know, here at Charles Darwin University, their researchers have looked into this and found that um, the kids, as we were saying, Darwin students uh, who go to school every day, that they're they're far more afraid of their of their own personal safety and crime in the community and more worried about that than they are of their own grades and what they're doing. And we were saying last week that that, you know, when when children's focus is away from what it should be on being kids worrying about grades, worrying about, you know, maybe not even worrying, but playing with other kids and, and getting through the day. And that's being disrupted now by fear that creeps in them. That, that's kind of third world stuff where they're worried about their meals and worried about whether they'll, you know, get through the night and stuff. Mm. And, and this is terrible that this is happening. So I thought it was really significant at the time. So I uh, I called the researchers just myself directly to the researchers, contacted them. Actually, it was one of them that was through UNSW. So University of New South Wales, one of the researchers is there now, and they put out a press release about it, right, that, you know, this research is done. And they kind of, I think, shared the the conversation article that was done. But nowhere did Charles Darwin University share it anywhere. And getting back to what I said about me being the only journalist to find it, I mean, why didn't CDU share this? It's about Darwin. Mm. It's about kids in the northern suburbs here and how they feel about crime. So I, I talked to them myself, did a story, and I was, I was talking last week, like, you know, that kind of thing we do very just straight down the line. Here's the research. Here's what the researchers are saying about how they interpret this and saying that it's, they're going to do more research and tie it into, you know, across the country and see how other kids are 
handling the same issues or, you know, what their fears are. This is just like a Darwin thing. Like, really, are kids in Australia as afraid of crime as kids in Darwin are? Uh, I'm sure there'll be some shocking findings there. But, uh, but yeah, I just didn't, I, I, so I, I done that story. We did that up and then there was some follow from that. And one of the follow being that, you know, we asked CDU, why didn't you put it up? Right? Why didn't you mm. release this? If, if, you know, the University of New South Wales is doing it and they're releasing, I mean, they're nowhere even close to here. So why aren't we releasing these findings? And is it because of, you know, the fear of uh, that it was politically inconvenient for the Labour government. And we know that the Labour's come in at times to, well, we know that they get a lot of funding every year from from the government here, the anti-government CDU does, and the Labour's come in and bailed them out the last couple of years. So is this like a quid pro quo? Is this, you know, we, we bailed Joe last year, maybe you don't put out any damning research that, that makes us look bad and how we're not handling crime. So, you know, I don't know if that's true, but you got to ask that question when, when you look at everything and it's not put out there. So I went to CDU. They took a long time to get back, but they did. And they basically said that, um, you know, that it was, a, there was no, you know, political motivation for it. There was nobody from the government who told them not to release it. Question still, I guess, about self-censoring. Do they just not release it because they think it's not appropriate? But they said no, that, that in fact, the two researchers, uh, you know, that it's really up to them how they want to to release their research materials. And, and they come up with a promotion strategy for it or advertising kind of thing on it. And, and uh, CDU doesn't have anything to do with that. Uh, now... You know that that's interesting because I mean CDU is really involved here and is, is paying for the paying these people to do this. So you would think that they would want to have a yeah. say in how they market that and how they promote it to get other other funding and things like that. Like, oh, look at this really excellent research, which everybody found extremely interesting. Like, what we haven't thought of that. Like, what is the effect of this on kids? How are they feeling? So uh, anyway, but yeah, CDU is maintaining that it, it had nothing to do with any political reasons uh robin lamley the independent member um for Ara lewin was saying that she was mystified as to why cdu would choose not to make the research public um you know and the, they just said look we weren't involved in that i don't know why they maybe should next time or look at maybe changing that or having discussions with the researchers so that we get it like really and then you know the nt news followed and, I, and abc radio did some things on it but none of them would have found it if i hadn't have found it on the conversations like yeah it. like nobody in darwin would even know about this research <laughs> so um yeah we gotta we gotta work on something there but again you know you look into what the research is and now um, how it's being portrayed after and how it's being interpreted in the community. And of course, the opposition were quick to, to jump on it as, um, you know, further proof of, of the Gunner government's inability, uh, perceived inability to, uh, to tackle this, this ongoing crime issue here. And, you know, the thing is, though, too, like, and there was a press conference that morning, too, when this story came out. I think it was last Friday morning or Thursday morning and nobody asked them about it in the thing. Like they were all writing <laughs> stories about it, but none of the journalists yeah, asked yeah. about it. And the COP were saying to me, like, you know, that's weird. Why didn't anybody ask him? I said, so when was this press conference? Oh, in the bunker. Chris wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was in the bunker. I'm uh, not allowed in there. I'll just press conference. You know, he did a press conference today from the Bark Hut Inn, but he didn't actually send the media down there. He did it himself, and he's doing it on his own Facebook page, and he had cameras flashing to pretend like he was... <laughs> It was all on his Facebook. Like that's weird. There's an app but, for that. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't. Um, he doesn't really want to be taking questions these days. And it's funny that he does kind of lay low when this kind of stuff's on. So uh, anyway, so see the CLP opposition, of course. So on top of it, saying, "Look, he's um, the, the the fact that he can that he would simply ignore it, right? That he he hasn't commented on it. We've sent him questions. We're not getting any answers." Um, they said, look, this is pretty typical of this guy. He ignores an issue and hopes it goes away. Uh, it's, she said, it's all part of the Gunner Labor government's failed policies on youth crime. They hit home again on this uh, breach of bail, uh, have allowed, has allowed crime to escalate right across the territory. Now our children are suffering. Um, it's uh, difficult, disappointing when the chief minister ignores our children's anxiety of potentially becoming victims of violence. So, you know, they're using this to kind of um, 
beat beat gunner up a bit here over this but i mean it's a it's a relevant point in a way because you know the other thing that happened when we put that story out there was in the research was how many people started writing in and the comments that came in on it were, were really a lot of like real comments and, and and people sharing stories of what happened and like i said you know with this one guy was saying that two years ago he was broken into and his young son still won't sleep in his own room by himself. And yeah, just a lot of stories and stories out of Alice Springs and the same stuff going on. Um, five times a kid, uh, or, uh, I guess his bike had been stolen. He's afraid that they'll come back into his room, steal his bike again. Five times, both his mom and dad's place have been broken into kids being traumatized about it all. So um, it's something that I guess we don't really think about a lot when we uh, talk about these issues, but certainly something that's important to recognize there. And uh, yeah, look, that that's it. Gunner's avoided any questions on it, avoid commenting on it, pretend it doesn't happen, hope it goes away. I guess that's really the strategy these days on things. Mm. Well, you've hey, got a couple more stories. Sorry, Pete, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to pick up on one point there, Chris, you mentioned that um, the government have bailed out CDU uh, for a couple of years in a row. Um, mm-hmm. who, who's bailing out the government? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Like it was like the boss. million there a couple of years ago. Yeah, it, exactly. Who, Xi? Xi no. Jinping? The, uh, bank, the Bank of Sichuan. Isn't, isn't yeah. that... Uh, isn't that what Gunner calls Scott Morrison, the boss? Yeah, but yeah, I don't think that I don't think any big checks come in Michael Gunner's way from the boss anytime soon. So I think it's all about kind of working within. They want to see them work within their own means here to, to find solutions. And, you know, I was just looking today at parliamentary sittings and thinking, holy Christ, look at that. We've got a budget coming up again in May, in early May. Um we got a couple of months here, then we're going to be back into that end of April. So, mm-hmm. and then, how shocking is that going to be? <laughs> well, we sit with bated breath. Um, you've got a couple more articles uh, following the, the the crime issue, and apparently, Gunner admitted his failings on crime and pledges. Unfortunately, you've used this phrase significant work. <laughs> I knew uh, you were going to pick up on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. As MLAs are unconvinced, uh, which MLAs are unconvinced and, uh, you know, what, what was the basis of his admission? Yeah, well, well probably most MLAs are even in his own party. <laughs> or but I was just, in, in terms of fitting the headline in there, it was hard to put opposition and, and crossbench, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> but certainly. All, all MLAs unconvinced. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, yeah, we maybe just do that with a small O, so, you know, we're not referring to the, the opposition. <laughs> that it also involves the, the independents. But, uh, yeah, look, it, it, we talked about this last week, I think, in a bit, saying that it's it's strange that Gunner hasn't really come out and acknowledged the issue at all, and that's what people are upset about. But, you know, it seems even when he does, they're still upset. He's not he's not convincing anybody. So a little bit of contrition here on his side. Uh, he did his regular, I think, uh, fortnightly um, interview on Mix on Monday morning, and he said, look, we've done a lot. He keeps saying that we've done a lot to tackle crime, though he doesn't really point to, to much. Um, but he said, and I get it. Uh, if you're out there right now and you're a victim of crime, then what we've done hasn't worked for you. You have a right to be angry. If you're a victim of crime, you have an absolute right to be angry. And I'm the chief minister and the responsibility starts and stops with me. And so you have a right to be angry with me. We've got to keep working. So it seemed there, but like, you know, people weren't buying that, that people were saying that that's just an easy thing for him to say. And, uh, it looks like he's taking ownership of this issue, but then, you know, they let him keep talking as soon as they do that. <laughs> um, he starts saying really silly things and he just kept talking. So he started talking about, he said that there'd be a couple of things this year in terms of legislation and consequences uh talking about three main pillars that uh of which stopping property crime and vehicle theft was one pursuing ringleaders who recruit kids into into this crime stuff and as if it's like a organized crime like sophisticated crime operation (laughs) just thinking of that anyway and the third was giving police the ability to make young offenders take part in visible community restitution which i'm sure nobody would 
argue with. He was really vague, though, about how he intended to execute that first plank. I mean, to say that oh, we want to stop property crime and vehicle theft. Well, yeah, that's what everybody's been saying mm. for months. Well, for years, really. Um, so he didn't really give a lot of uh, detail around what he means there. This legislation about um, the ringleaders uh, talking about that again today here on Thursday uh, on radio, they were reporting, I don't know if he put out a statement or what, but he, um, this ringleader legislation seems to be what they're, what they're trying to sell now. Uh, I don't know really what that's going to do. I mean, you would think that the ringleader would then be replaced with another ringleader. If that's ringleader guy. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. This all seems very familial anyway, that, that it's probably better to start focusing on the families and stuff. But anyway, look, that's what he's saying. That's how he's pitching this thing. He's staying away from the bail issue, of course, which Leah, uh, Finocchiaro and the opposition are on him to do. You saw in Queensland, uh, uh, I was reading an article today where criticized by, she was being criticized by Aboriginal elders as this being a, a knee jerk reaction, but the presumption of bail for young offenders and for presumption for them to, to be given bail will be taken away. And, uh, that this ankle bracelet monitoring um gps stuff would be put in and this is following a lot of incidents in queensland in recent weeks of course as we spoke about before uh a lot of people here saying well look she's actually out there doing something she's talking about hard things that they can change now that that, that will fix crime i mean yeah it's a, it's a difficult thing i i get that at the same time are we going to get back into this place where we were before years ago yeah, in terms of how it's going to work, it's a difficult thing, and the balance has to be there. And yeah, you have to focus on. But but see, Gunner, I guess where that goes is that Gunner has this whole, and he's got Jamie Chalker out saying it now too, right? I mean, you got the police commissioner saying, "Oh, this is generational change. We're we're bringing about generational change." Not sure that's the police commissioner's role. The police commissioner should be addressing crime today, and that's what seems to be missing from Gunner's policy here. I mean. I don't think anyone's arguing with them that generational change needs to happen. But what, what the public's saying is that right now this crime is still going on and we need some sort of solution now for that and then focus on these bigger issues that, that's going to involve all government departments, all NGOs, a lot of community stakeholders who have to come in to, to find that solution for that generational change that they're talking about. But in the meantime, what happens? I mean, in the meantime, do we just let them run free and smash things and, and torment people and, um, and make children not feel safe in their community? I mean, th there's got to be some sort of immediate re approach to it now. And it doesn't seem to be working. And I just think that there, there's a lot of different avenues to take on this you know they were talking about it in queensland on on well you know leah was on radio this week talking about the boot camps and the things and the kids aren't being sentenced there and stuff it seems to me that when a gunner's in a problem like this and a communication issue like this that he would start pointing to some success stories there and pulling the kids out and saying look here's what we've done he talked about some numbers this week on that but he doesn't have any like real story like he said something, I think, in this story that it was 80, 85% of the kids who went through, um, he said boot camps, uh, didn't reoffend. Um, I, he said 67 kids went through 11 different boot camp programs. Now, there's no breakdown of that. I mean, this is a bunch of numbers that he's thrown around. I think people want to see the success stories or the stories of real people out there. And if, if he can't point to anything, about what's happening now and how the change is happening now that will, you know, lead to that generational change later. This is why he's in this position now is that nobody's seeing any immediate action being taken. So, uh, until he starts being able to do that, but you would think he'd be able to do that by now and he hasn't. So maybe they don't have any success stories and, and, you know, I, I get the people's frustrations on that. Now, when I said that he kept talking, he said this too. And I, I, he said, they said, why didn't you a couple of weeks ago when you were down there uh, in Alice go and talk to people, like have a community forum, talk to real people about what they're experiencing there in terms of crime. So uh, he had said on ABC the week before too, that now I was down there to see bureaucrats. <laughs> it was all about a bureaucrat. It was leaving the DCM. 
And I couldn't believe he said that at the time that he was that tone deaf to think that like anyone cared that he went down there to be <laughs> a bureaucrat and why, like why you can't do two things at once on this trip. You can't mm-hmm. then meet with other people, but he does it again. He says it again. Now I went down there to meet a, a bureaucrat who's leaving the office and what to have cake with them. <laughs> I don't understand that's that. It's a farewell that's, party. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. not a reason to go to Alice Springs. So, but mm-hmm. what he says is he says, no, no, I listen to people all the time. And then he said that he, he goes on patrol ah. with them at night with people mm. from territory families. Um, he didn't, I don't think he even said police. He said, uh, so that's a regular thing I do in Alice. I go out on patrol with police and territory family workers. Um, <laughs> I do a lot of work when I go to Alice. So I absolutely accept that responsibility of chief. So I get to Alice a lot and obviously do that in Alice regularly. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, there you go. Just let him keep talking. It was just nonsense. Like, I think he was trying to convince himself that he, that he knows something about what's going on down yeah. there. <laughs> Does, doesn't it feel, um, whenever he gets backed into a corner like this and, you know, we saw it on the budget last year and we've seen it on a few other things where he comes out with these sort of grandstand statements mm-hmm. of, you know, these pledges of, and as Leon says, it's hard to believe that he'd choose this word, but significant work and, you know, the freeze on hiring and every department will be responsible. But from a, a bystander's perspective, it's just talk. It never appears to be coupled with any action whatsoever. Yeah. Exactly. That's the frustration. That's what we're hearing from everybody. I mean, I that's I get calls from people in Alice all the time saying thanks for covering the stuff down here because we, we feel we don't have a voice because of that. Because Gunner, even if he did show up, I think they're reporting today, the NT News, that um that Nicole Manison, the police minister, went to Alice and they said something like she confronts the issues or something. Well, that makes it sound like she's actually talking to people. No, she stood in front of the police station, did a press conference with like, you know, media and Alice Springs where Mm. I don't know if she thought she'd be asked tough questions or not, but, uh, but that's not, that's not confronting the issue, but yeah, yeah, getting back to Gunner, it's the same thing. I mean, you keep saying this stuff politically, like him with this almost, you know, where he's trying to offer some contrition here, but people aren't buying it because they've heard this stuff before. And until they see results, it's not going to work. They're tired of it. And he doesn't seem to get that yet. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's an issue. And that's like a communication strategy. Yeah. I yeah. Wonder, they ask who's, who's advising them on this stuff. Well, yeah, they're not doing a good job right now. Um, mm. And that of course rolls us into the next uh, article tonight, Chris, with uh, the chief minister stifling crime debate. And only talking to public servants, according to Robin Lamley. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> right. It's a takeoff of, of where that kind of left off. And then the next day, Robin Lamley comes out and and uh, she was in, in fine form. I must say she was uh, kind of all over the place there on radio. <laughs> well, really direct in her, in her shots at Gunner, um, including saying, uh, what was the line? Something about how uh, uh, he needs to come to the party. And have some frank conversations with people who aren't on his payroll, she says, who, who don't have to curtail and blow wind up his whatever, <laughs> she said. Wow. And I think that that hit home with a lot of people. And they're thinking this is exactly the issue is the gunner's down there now. He had just admitted that when he goes to Alice for his significant uh, whatever he's doing there, that... Uh, that he's hanging out with territory families, people he's hanging out with bureaucrats and trying mm-hmm. to get the story from them. And, you know, everybody in Alice Springs, when they hear he's coming, they'll post photos of the Todd mall because it's all cleaned up and there are no kids anywhere. And, <laughs> and, you know, they do that for him as if like, yeah, he's like the uh, North Korea. emperor. They've <laughs> scrubbed everything and everything looks good. And I don't know why they even do that. But anyway, Anyway, and I don't know, like, I mean, this is all part of Leon, you know, you've said that before, Gunnar surrounding himself kind of with sycophants and not really getting a sense of the real world and the real community. And I think Lamley really hit on that. And I'd, I'd expect them to kind of hammer him a bit more on that, on, on painting this picture of the guy who's completely out of touch, um, who hasn't. And, and it's so easy to fix that. I mean, sit down, you're going to take some shit from people. Like, just understand that as the leader, you're going to do it. So do it. But 
even from the beginning, because people will respect you more when you do it. If he showed up and actually listened to what people were saying, like real people, they would be angry that night and, and he'd have to back it up with some action and do something. But they're, they're going to respect him a lot more for actually showing up. But the more he runs away, but you look back at what he's done over the last four years. Now, I mentioned Madison today uh, being sent down to Alice Springs, and hopefully we'll find out more about exactly what's going on there tomorrow morning. But um, this is this is typical. This is how Gunner operates, is that he puts out uh, Nicole Madison or Natasha Files whenever there's bad news. He, he can't take it. He can't take those tough questions. He can't take the heat from that. He wants to pretend that, you know, everything's fine with him. You know, it's like the scrubbers that he has on his Facebook page who, you know, it, it, talk about a guy who's out of touch. And I'm saying I, I'm sure the opposition and the, and the independents will hammer on that. This week, he posts a photo of him and Paul Kirby eating laksa uh, in the middle of all this uh, with the crime thing going on. And he's avoiding questions. He won't talk to people. He then posts a photo because... The anti-government, as you guys probably saw on an ad for COVID-19 saying, if you can't taste your laksa, get tested. The problem was in that ad, the photo wasn't of a laksa, <laughs> an Asian soup. So um, uh, so he then just, this is like really bad communication strategy, but one of his advisors clearly said, oh, let's have some fun with this and we'll put a photo of you and, and Kirby eating laksa. And then he called it a shame job. Uh, for these creative government people who did the ad and that he's sending a lot of locks of love their way and he's going to correct them, make sure they know what locks is next time. And it's him and Kirby eating it. And people lost shit over that. Like they got really <laughs> upset sending comments. I think one, one woman was just, well, he deleted it. What was it? She's like, yeah, you can, you eat it that soup. I hope, why don't you put bad in it? <laughs> I hear that's really good. <laughs> you know, like People were upset. Like, and, Oh, the, it looks like he's sitting around eating and enjoying laksa while um, while the community burns. So uh, anyway, that's, Caligula. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> been there. That's but that's been his strategy the whole time. And and look, I guess it's worked for him. He's still the chief minister, and and Nicole Madison and Natasha Files continue to take it. I think somebody in one of the comments on one of our stories referred to them as his dancing girls. You know, he sends them out whenever there's trouble. They dance for him, take the distract people away from him, and that's it. So um, until that, I think either one of them maybe stand up and say, yeah, we've had enough. Now, of course, this does fall on on uh, Nicole Madison as the police minister to start offering some solutions, too. But uh, ultimately, Buck stops with Gunner, even as he says it. Now he's got to show that he actually understands what that means. Uh yeah, so 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 this week now what Robin Lamley was pointing to too. So we've got Parliament coming up next week, and we assume that it's going to be dominated um, by the opposition, crossbench, and independence um, with with crime issues. But what Robin said was that uh, that she's now because so there's three independents now, right? There's Kizia Purik, Robin Lamley, and Yengi Aguila. And those three independents will now only have one question each per week during question time. So Gee. you've got an hour of question time and you've got, uh, yeah, like, I mean, you know, that's three, almost worth demonstrating about. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's just, the latest. How can that be? We live in a democracy. You can't stifle debate. You know, you can't, I mean, the whole idea of the Westminster system of government is that you have you have the government and you have the opposition, you have independence, and people and are allowed adversarial. to... adversarial. Yeah. Sorry? And it's adversarial and you yes. expect that, yeah. And, and you have people asking the questions, the hard questions, and holding the government to account. That's what makes this thing work. Mm -hmm. You start turning the tap off, stifling debate preventing news organisations from covering you. You know, this is just crap. Yeah. Well, and he and he's getting away with it, and there's nothing that anyone can do. And he started it from day one. I mean, he's been upfront about what he's doing. Well, I mean, he hasn't talked about it, but he's, he's, we can see it through his actions. So first step after being re-elected last August was we're going to get rid of the scrutiny committee. And that was that committee that was set up that even let, like, the public come in and comment on proposed legislation. And now first thing he's, he's done with that. 
Now he's moved to restrict the number of questions of independence. Uh, this is crazy. So they had a lot more. I can't remember. I did a, a breakdown of the figures, but I think they were averaging something like 17 a week for independence. So you got three sittings of parliament, you know, for people who aren't, aren't aware, and, and three and an hour each day of, of questions for question time. Now, what he had done in 2016, back when he was promoting himself as being open and transparent, is that they actually did away with Wednesday. Wednesday was just opposition and independent questions. There was no none of the Dorothy Dixers from his own party asking him to explain how great things were. But he got rid of that as well. And uh, and that's so now we're what we're going to be subjected to because they've limited. So now it's three questions for the independents and there's, there's less, less independents for sure. There's four less. There were seven last time. There's three this time, but they, last time they were given way more. They had two, three a week each. Uh, now it's down to one each. So it's going to be bombarded those hour long question times with labor getting up and, and just filling it with the Dorothy Dixers about it. Oh, tell us chief minister, how great your new, you know, funding for this is or your new plan for whatever. Um, and we're, we're going to get a bunch of just garbage and it's just going to be a waste of time. Um, so, you know, he's controlled this. He's able to do this. Nobody's stopping him. Uh, what's going to happen? I mean, yeah, it's the latest, it's the latest in the pattern of behavior here. Yeah. Well, let's keep going. So the Pajima festival has come around again. I feel like we were only talking about that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah. No. <laughs> I had to look look into that, Leon. You're right because it was supposed to happen last April, but then it got postponed to September because of COVID. And so, or was right. it October? I think it might have even been into October when we were talking about it last okay. time. Okay, and so, that was a fiasco yeah. last time, wasn't it? Because they had to move it because of all the crime. Yeah, but then they lied about it. They they wouldn't say like they they said no, nah, no, nah, we're just moving it for space reasons that we can accommodate more people. The, the events are too popular. And then they admitted that, no, wait a second, there's at least one car that came flying down the, the Todd Mall after uh, after a screening of a film. And people were terrified. And, and, you know, we had talked to people on the ground there at the time who told us other stories about, like, the cars were throwing giant rocks and smashing windows. Like, a little kid was, was like, nearly sprayed with, with glass shattering from a from a window it, it was like madness down there and they just lied about it. at least this time we're, we're being a little more upfront about it i mean not that the government's come out and said anything about it but certainly the organizer from nt major events was asked about a point blank on um, abc alice springs and he said well yeah you know we need to be mindful of events that might happen we're working with council to put in some mitigation should be working with yourself and the empty government here um Hopefully, get we get to the point where we'll be able to return back and activate the mall because the mall is a beautiful place. Uh, yeah, he says we can only work towards positive things and try and develop an environment where we can do things like that. But it, clearly, at this point, it's been determined that it's it's unsafe. It's not safe enough to hold this. And now, you know, you get into that too. I mean, just this week earlier, I think on Monday they put out the government did a release about how they were promoting. Jibma, like across uh, the country is like this great event to come and experience the NT COVID safe. Um, you know, we're the NT we've done the best in the country uh, come here. And then at the next, you know, the next day they can't guarantee anyone's safety, like just from physical <laughs> harm being done, let alone COVID. So COVID is not an issue. Yeah. Getting a rock in the eye is like, <laughs> getting run down by a crazy yeah. in, the, in the mall. So, yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, again, nobody wanted to come out in front of this and take any questions on it. It just is what it is. They let a, a bureaucrat go out and announce it. And and he kind of just did it, like, just matter of fact. I think if he wasn't asked the question, they wouldn't have said anything. Maybe we wouldn't have known. So, yeah, no, I was waiting. I was like, oh, they'll put out a statement about it and explain. No, no, they didn't. He was probably the guy leaving his job anyway. <laughs> I thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Dead man yeah. walking, as they say. Yeah, it's not not getting any better down there. And until you can start, you know, providing that, look, you want to do these events. I mean, I don't even understand why. I mean, there there must be a fundamental systemic issue down there, right? Like, I mean, if you can't even guarantee people's safety for these events that are going on, if you can't hire mm. security or police or do what you need to do to handle this for the ten days that this event goes on, if you're afraid that whatever you do 
something's going to happen, then there's systemic issues down there that need to be addressed. Leon, who was the guy we spoke to from the CLP a few weeks ago? Josh Burgoyne, was it? Mate, Josh Burgoyne would be, what, 30, 35 years old, something like that? He'd have to be at the peak of his fitness, and I was shocked to hear that even he is scared to walk down the in the city at night time. That tells you how dire the uh, predicament is. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah, and there's got to be a bigger issue here. Like, just how do you how do you fix that? I mean, that should be mm. something that shouldn't be that difficult to fix. But mm. my God, if they got to get advice from someone else, maybe they got to hire consultants again to tell them how to fix yeah. and make the place safe. But yeah, like you say, that's terrible. That. Yeah, a, a man in his 30s is afraid to walk around. Yeah. Well, I, I hate to be sticking to a theme, but it seems we are, because mm-hmm. uh, st- sticking to the theme of not disclosing things, uh, the government is hiding the release of childcare reimbursement claims and won't say if MLA's relatives have been paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this – so, yeah, this is kind of uh, – I was looking at this after the election and, you know, I was doing, a, we'd run this story about how much, this is how much you're paying everybody. Cause I think like, I think voters have a right to know they've just been elected this new, um, the new kind of rates had come in for them. There, their salaries had an increase because they promised not to do that because of the financial crisis and COVID. But, mm. um, what I noticed in there after I'm looking at, and you know, I just, I think everybody should know how much these guys are getting paid. And the, you know, Gunner's on 325,000 as a, as a base. I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. That's his base. And then he's got, you know, his electorate allowance. He's got, um, uh, cars. He gets a car allowance for his own personal car. And then he gets the chauffeured car. And he gets all these other perks and things that people Where do you find know. all this information out, Chris? It's in the RTD. So the remuneration tribunal determination. Now, these are the two clowns, if you remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sid. Fair. Yeah, Sid. <laughs> Sid Sterling. And uh, old mate Mick Martin, former under treasurer. And these two guys, these two guys sit around. We paid them $27,000 for two weeks of work. Mm. And um, what they determined then a couple years ago was, yeah, I don't think that uh, politicians should have to report where they travel and how much they cost taxpayers. Mm. We'll just put it in their electorate allowance. Now, the electorate allowance is is going to be a big thing. And I'm, I'm without tipping my hand too much. There's going to be some stuff come out about that because I think that's basically a slush fund for everybody. Um but anyway, one of the things that I noticed, and it was, I think, late at night when I was going through that, but I thought, oh, and I made a little note, and it was, and I didn't, I'd never seen this, I've looked at this thing a lot, but I hadn't seen this until, I think, like, you know, last August, September, um, that all MLAs get a $5,000 childcare reimbursement entitlement. Now, this is for if they're working kind of after hours, if they're working at past, I think it was 6 p.m., on uh on a weekday or any weekend um work if they're at a at a quote-unquote work activity um they can claim for childcare expenses um now they can do that but they need to report the nature of the work activity or event that they're at the duration of that event uh, including the start and finish times the amount paid for childcare, and to whom that amount was paid so I got thinking about that and I got thinking about how I've seen um, politicians at events, but I've seen their spouses or their parents looking after the kids. And I've heard this from other people that this happens a lot. Um, so I thought, you know, and, and, and this is, so that wording, what I just read, that, that, that is actually from the remuneration tribunal determination i i didn't just make that up like that's actually the rules they have to say how much they paid and to whom and for what the event was so i asked uh i asked well i put in an foi for this freedom of information application requesting that and it was knocked back in december it took them they needed more time of course and then they came back and said uh no we can't we're not going to give it to you and i said okay and and they they wrote in there because uh 
I'm declining to provide your copies of the reimbursement claim forms and the names of the members who submitted claims and the child care providers. They consider that the information requested is personal information and the full release to be an unreasonable interference with the member's privacy. I would be objecting to that one. Well, yeah, so I have. And mm. so, so well, what I did first, Lance, so, you know, there's this whole process of this through the FOI and the Information Act. So firstly, I have to request an internal review. Mm. And they have 30 days that they have to get somebody else in the department to look at it. And this is Department of Legislative Assembly. So I asked for that and they gave it to, and without any explanation for that, they gave it to the director of building services at Parliament House. So this is like the head maintenance man or something like <laughs> the, the janitor was asked, what do you think? <laughs> we give him the info. And lo and behold, the maintenance man said, he was nah. up a ladder at the time. <laughs> and he said, and tell Walsh to stick it up his ass. He's not getting the numbers. <laughs> so, uh, so I didn't get it. So they came back and they 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 had the this building services manager say, uh, "No, you're not getting it." And we're back and what the other girl said. So okay, um, now what I do is we file the um, the complaint with the information commissioner's office because and and the reason you kind of picked up on that, Leon, is because this isn't, and I, you know, I explained that when I asked for the internal review, I said, this isn't personal private information. In fact, when you're using taxpayer money to pay for something, hmm. you can't, you can't then say it's personal. Like it needs you can't to have it both ways. Yeah. Like, look, this is like, imagine if they awarded a contract to build something and then said, no, no, but we don't have to tell you who we gave the money to. Like you, you just you can't yeah. do that. It's public money. Like I don't need personal information that would you know about the children or anything. I mean, of course not. Of course, that's not what we're interested in. But the the thing here is is that you've got you've got these highly paid politicians. So let's look at Nicole Madison, right? There's a couple I've talked to everybody, and I know that the people in opposition and in the independents in the previous parliament that sat that's what this was for for two and a half years did none of them claimed it. At least they said that they haven't claimed it. So we know that the ones who would have been most eligible to claim it would be Nicole Madison, Natasha Files, and Paul Kirby. Now, uh, Madison is making, so her base salary is $292,000 a year. And she's been on that since being named Deputy Chief Minister in 2016. Now, there's a lot of people out there in the community who don't make anywhere near that. And guess what? They have to pay for their own child care. And they have mm-hmm. to pay for that out of their pocket. Now, what this little entitlement does is it gives them $5,000 to essentially, well, it, it pays for childcare, but it also, you could, there's no rules on who you give it to. So, you know, I've heard the story, you know, Nicole Madison, let's say, and I don't know if this is true, we'll find out soon enough, yeah. but let's say for the sake of argument that, that she's paying her mother, you know, to, um, to look after the kids when she's not around and her husband wants a break. So she's got this $5,000 fund every year that she could pay her mother to look after these kids. And, you know, or, or Paul Kirby could pay his, his spouse to do it, to be a mother to the kid. You know, Madison could be paying <laughs> just, isn't that just the so grandmother wrong? to be the grandmother. Yeah, like there's no, <laughs> there's no rules. And clearly, they, they don't even have to make it public. Like, who, who they yeah. give money to? No, no, this has to, this has to see the light of day. I mean... Yeah, this is where politicians get themselves into a whole lot of bother with with the population, and this is where cynicism uh, is bred in the population because ordinary people look at this and they say, okay, I I can understand politicians, you know, having to do a lot of outside hours work, Mm. and if they have to engage a babysitter, you know, well, we all have to do it, but, you know, I could swallow them getting an allowance for that. But then to go that extra step and actually pay their spouses to do a job that they are obligated to do as parents, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. where you cross the line, and that's yeah. where people get pissed off. Yeah, that's, that's what I think, Leon, and I think that, that that's fair and I understand that. But see, that, so that's what I've, I've asked them, and I've said, okay, well, then why don't you just say, has there been any relatives, any spouses, any parents being paid to do this? And they wouldn't do it. And the fact that they wouldn't release 
the information up front correct. Me that something's correct. going on here. Absolutely. Everything you need to know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. now well, you keep going. Yeah, yeah. So here's what they did say. Now, they did come back and they gave some numbers in terms of, uh, let's see here, in terms of overall claims. So I'd asked for 2018, 2019, and 2020, and they came back and they said no claims in 2020, which okay i don't know um they said that there were 16 reimbursement claims made in the calendar years 2018 and 2019 totaling uh 1485 dollars right so it doesn't seem like a lot of money but what i what i what they didn't do was give me any documents to back that up now this is like to me this seems like a thing like oh it's only 1500 bucks like don't worry about it we're not giving you any details of it i i don't necessarily believe them. I think when we get to this part with the information commissioner and they have to go through everything, don't be surprised if, oh, I didn't re- realize that these these invoices were mm. in here. Oh, my, I didn't mm. see that. I mean, first yeah. of all, why would anyone, why would they only claim a couple hundred bucks? And why are they nickel and diming? Yeah. Right? If you get a few yeah, of them exactly. and they're claiming, even if one claimed 1,500 bucks in, in 16 claims, why are they nickel and diming like that? Like something's not right here. Something. Yeah. So wasn't uh, there a story, uh, Chris, uh, when some CLP were in power? Was it uh, Peter? What's his name? Peter Chandler. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- didn't he make some claims, uh, some cleaning claims, uh, where someone re- related oh, like was doing the cleaning? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Well, if I'm wrong about that, I apologize, Peter. But I, I don't think I that that was ever made public. But you're right. <laughs> but here's the thing, and let's be fair with everything. I'm it's not sure public now. <laughs> yeah. Well. Peter Chandler isn't the only one. Now, what happened there was I think that he had employed his his wife to clean the office, which again, there's no there's no um, rules against that. So they're given the electorate allowance, which we get back to this. And uh, well, actually, I don't even think that's out of the electorate allowance. I think that's out of some costs that are paid um, through the lease and everything when they lease these office space. Remember uh, Eva Lawler with her three hundred thousand dollar. <laughs> so then they get this budget for for running this, and they get cleaning. And there's something like you can either hire a cleaner, we'll give you more money. Like hire a professional cleaner, we'll give you more money. And yeah, it might be in the electorate allowance that you can then use to, and you clean it yourself, kind of thing. But then they can yeah. use that money to do it now. Kezia Purick's doing the same thing. Her partner's employed in her electorate office, and there's no there's no rules against that, um, mm. provided they're doing things here. And, and as I guess as long as it's within the budget. Um, where this one gets a little out there, though, I think is just that, is that wouldn't everybody love to have 5000 bucks sitting around that, you know, taxpayers would pay for for their child care after hours? And, um, that one's going to be a lot harder to justify. Uh, look, I am almost certain that if if they could figure out that they could pay their um, relatives to clean the office, mm. uh, they would definitely know about the five thousand uh, dollar allowance. I, I suspect yeah. that many of them would be sitting there going on the first day of being elected, right? What are my entitlements? Go through mm. the list of entitlements, figure out exactly how they can get them all to the, uh, maxed out. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I can actually pay my spouse to look after my kids. Let's tick that box. <laughs> yeah. you, you, they, these guys, I mean, look, I don't care whether it's Labor or CLP, I'll tell you right now, right? The whole yeah. lot of them should be smashed over this issue. It's just yeah. wrong. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not what we expect from our elected officials. That's my view. Especially though, I think it's even greater importance now, given the fiscal situation we're in here. And exactly, you got, got five thousand for twenty-five people that they can claim. Get rid of that. You want to save some money? Just get rid of that. Get rid of some of the other stuff. Like I said, I don't. I'm, I'm looking into electorate allowances. I'm going to say that much, and I'm going to say that the when we when we get to the bottom of that, and we'll and we'll have some people, and we'll see where. So basically, there's no rule with this electorate allowance, right? And it could be like sixty thousand, mm-hmm. and I think some of the real remote areas up to like a hundred and ten, hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and they don't have any requirement to publicly report where they spend the money. So when you see Natasha Files posting on Facebook that she's handing out cakes to the elderly out of the goodness of her heart, that's coming yeah. from the electorate allowance. Like taxpayers yeah, are paying for true. that. And that's so we true. need to start looking into that because this is like this unlimited slush fund that's never made public. What are they doing with this money? And then, like I said, the two jokers there who run the RTD who told them 
you know, you can take 10,000 extra for travel and just put it in the thing. So you don't have to travel if you don't want to. You just get yeah, an extra yeah. 10,000 and do what you want, but don't report it. There's no requirement to report like, it, it just, at all. Yeah. It just undermines, it undermines the faith in, in our democratic institutions. And that's what these clowns don't actually understand. You, you know, I mean, we've spoken about this before. I mean, I look at Gunnar Sally, there, 325,000, and I, and I think to myself, well, when he stops being chief minister, is he going to get that salary in any other job that he does? And I suspect no. not. No. I suspect not. No. Unless they make him chancellor at CDU or something. <laughs> I don't know how much um, that is. I don't think the chancellor at CDU would get that much money. It's just, no, the vice it, chancellor gets just, double that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are, you, are you joking? That. No, Simon Maddox. 650,000. Yeah, 625. Yeah. Yeah, Simon insane. Maddox, that's what he's been making for, yeah, maybe it is even closer to 650, but yeah. It's, uh, is that with a side hustle? <laughs> it should be. Um, yeah, he's uh, now in the, uh, in the building again. Yeah, these numbers are just utterly extraordinary. And yeah. It just makes be. my blood boil. It makes my yeah. blood boil. You know, I mean, yeah. you're getting paid a pretty decent salary. And yeah, you work hard for it. I, I don't question how hard. Oh, it's not an easy job. We know that. Work, yeah. right? I've never yeah. said that they're sitting around doing nothing. We have said they're incompetent, yes, but, you know, uh, that's not from a lack of trying. They're trying, yeah. Yeah. and uh, It's a lack yeah. of talent. <laughs> <laughs> but that's right. So, like, you, you got to wonder, though, really what their expenses are. I mean, there's a lot of things here, but just these perks and things. So what are they really spending money on and how much is it to just pay somebody to watch the kids and just take that out of your salary like the rest of us have to do? Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw my brother under the bus here, right? I, I mean, I was thinking about whether to mention this or not. You know, look, my brother is the electoral commissioner. We all know that. Um, and as the head of that department, uh, you know, he's entitled to fly business class when he goes into state. Uh, and I said to him once, I said, oh, you know, do, do you fly business class when you go into state? And he said, no, I don't. And I said, why not? If you're entitled to it, why aren't you doing it? This is just not a good look, Leon. You know, now, I'm not saying that everybody else should do that, but that's the mentality of the guy, mm. you know. Uh, and I can tell you that he, uh, you know, I mean, he, I don't know how much he makes, but I suspect he probably be in, in, some, in that range there somewhere maybe, maybe a bit less. But it's about just, you, you know, the, managing your, the perceptions. Now, if, if he knows how to do that, why don't these people in leadership know how to do that? <laughs> That's an excellent point, Leon. Yeah, that's what we've been crying out here for a while for. Um, they don't get that. I don't understand. And they're the ones who are elected. They're the ones who should be watching that even more closely and setting that example for everybody. But no, they won't do that. They just are incapable mm. of doing that. They, it does seem like they're trying to get what they can for the time that they're in there. And they know it's not permanent. Yeah. You know, maybe Ian wants to hold on to the job for a while. I don't know. Oh, he, he can't. That's why he, he can't. He's term limited. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, there you go. But, you know, like, yeah, I just, I just always have got that sense from them, from, from labor coming in that this is, let's grab what we can on the way out. And we know this isn't going to be permanent. And, uh, someone else will be in here riding in the white cars soon enough. <laughs> and those people are coveting all of this too. Right. So, very rarely do I, when I do these stories, you're going to see a comment from another politician criticizing it, right? They, yeah, they just yeah. wouldn't do that. And it's better sometimes let's just show people what it is. Here are the facts. I mean, we don't need to to angle this with like, you know, uh, politi or politicize it even. Like here, just here's here's the facts. Here's what they're entitled to. And here's what they're doing with that. Entitlement. Well, I hope, Chris. And whether it's like, acceptable. Like the New York Times, uh, who got, uh, you know, an, an anonymous delivery of Donald Trump's tax returns. I hope you get an anonymous delivery of of some interesting information about this. You know, it just, it yeah. just pe pe there needs to be whistleblowing about this stuff. I reckon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna be talking about this again because I am, yeah, I am looking into some other things here. So we'll get there. We're, we'll, we'll at least show everybody where it is. They don't want it coming out, and they're under no obligation to ever report where they spend this. But we're gonna find it and make it public so people know. All right. Well, let's uh, let's uh, flip the switch a bit here. Uh, your next story: Territory leads nation in paramedic attrition rates, according to the Productivity Commission. 
what's going on there? It was it was something like uh, the, the NT is, is five times the attrition rate as the next highest in the country. So according to this Productivity Commission uh, report, we're leading the nation with a 20.2% attrition rate. And this is for paramedics leaving the NT. Now, the next highest was, I believe it was 4.3%, the ACT. All right, so you're looking at nearly five times the rate. So what's going on here? You've got Queensland, they've got the lowest of 1.1%, Tasmania 1.9%. We're, we're at 22, 20.2%. So what's going on? Now, the figures, when they put out this Productivity Commission report into emergency services in um, the end of January, they, you know, they cautioned that a lot of this, you know, take it what it is, it's COVID-related. Um, or the COVID has had an impact on it, which seems to be where the St. John Ambulance people are kind of going with it, saying, oh, look, you know, these they've taken these opportunities down south, they've left here. But they didn't explain why. I mean, really, who 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 is doing that? Is that a logical step to be making? Is there, you know, are the interstate service providers offering better packages, better incentives for them to transfer. I mean, the, I mean, maybe. I mean, it's conceivable that they thought, okay, there's a bad outbreak. You know, in Melbourne, I want to go down there and be a paramedic. I, I don't know. Um, but to me, it seems like we should... I Look, I think a lot of it comes back to when you look at that with the police. Now, tie that in too, right? I mean, we're talking about frontline workers here. You got paramedics, you got police. We know the Anti-Police Association was saying that 10 officers were, you know, retiring or resigning every month uh i'm sure once we get the co- comparative figures uh between the anti and the rest of the country for police that that's going to be a shocking one too i think uh you know when you when you look at the other stories about um you know people the frontline workers being assaulted i mean they deal with a lot here in the anti i imagine that the rate for them to and how long they're working now that wasn't in the in the diagram that we saw the the data that we saw how long the people who left had been here but that would be something because that, that could be part of it too i mean if they've been assaulted enough times that they said oh screw this i'm out of here like the nt has an issue with this and you know it does lead the nation there and then these assaults too there's an abc story about that uh last year so i think that there's a lot of different factors that come in here but into play here and in, in making people's determinations to leave. But this should be alarming. And I get it's a COVID issue year kind of thing, but, but that's huge. I mean, that's huge. Why would they want to be safe here and deal with people? I'll tell you why it is. And I don't know if we're just dancing around the elephant in the room here, but you've only got to drive around the city any day of the week and you'll see these poor buggers cleaning up various people off the sidewalks and the supermarket car parks day after day after day, being yelled at, spat at, abused. Yeah, assaulted, yeah. And, and most of it, if I can say, is alcohol-related. So I don't know why you get into the career of being a paramedic, but, you know, call me crazy, I'm sure it's so that you get a, a whole array of medical things that you can deal with and help people at their worst times. But... Mm. Most of this is not people in their worst times, uh, in as much as they've created the worst time for themselves. Yeah, self-inflicted. Yeah, that's needless. Yeah, yeah it doesn't have to it. happen. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, look, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that that's the part that they're not talking about here. Is is that and and what are the conditions like that? That's what I meant. Like you know, on that, yeah, they get assaulted and the overall conditions for paramedics in the NT, I mean, it's, it's got to be the harshest place in the country to be yeah. for, for that very reason. And a lot of others and, and working remote too, I'd imagine wouldn't be easy. And <laughs> so, yeah. And then unless, you know, we're bringing in people, I mean, that, that wasn't in there. I mean, we know that, that this is way down. This attrition rate is way up for this year, but how many people are coming in to take over the roles? Are they short staffed? Um, you know, because, yeah, same as police. Now, they did point to uh, to a partnership with CDU that they're, they're looking to train more local people. Uh, they wanted to have their own kind of homegrown team, I think they called it. So uh, there was a partnership signed last September to deliver a bachelor-level degree in paramedic science with CDU, uh, which was starting this semester. Um, 
and they were saying that they were hoping to, uh, the, the you know, to, what was it? Our, our crews are constantly expanding their clinical experience between what is often considered standard care. Well, she's she's trying to sell this that you know, from the Red Center to the Tropical North, paramedics in the territory are faced with a complex workload. I don't think that's going to attract mm. anyone <laughs> to come here and do that. Mm. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think like a paramedic. I mean, they they. they like being involved in helping people, as you said. Mm. But uh, I guess that's really going to be their best bet is that they're uh, looking for the homegrown people and they can train them here in CDU. I don't think that you're going to get as much. Like a, you get some for sure, but will you be able to cover what it's now looking to be like a shortfall of people? I don't know. Yeah, it's the same as the situation they have with the uh, the homegrown doctors that they do through, I think it's uh, in conjunction with Flinders Uni, if my memory serves me correct. Yeah, I think this one was, yeah. They're begging for locals, but, you know, invariably the, the most of the intake come from interstate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's good that it's there, and hopefully it encourages people. But mm. yeah, right now, again, though, I mean, this is great. We're talking years from now. What are we going to do right now? We've got a shortage of paramedics. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, look, uh, moving on, finally tonight, Chris, uh, the NT government have sincerely apologised for the Territory Check-In app privacy situation where people's email addresses have been disclosed. <sighs> Yeah, did we did we think this was going to go any other way? <laughs> well, Honestly, I yeah. I don't know. I yeah, look that that was a fear right away up front. People were saying that oh, okay, but you know, is my privacy protected? Is my data safe? Oh well, it's not that much information. The government's it's not that you just give it to us. Not that much. Well, here we go. So we've got our first kind of breach of that privacy mm. thing. You know, from what I understand, the unintentional error. <laughs> they actually called it that in the letter, right? An yeah. unintentional error. Like, oh, my God. Man. We thought yeah. they set us up for it. But uh, <laughs> they were colluding with people to do this. And who yeah. knows? Um, bit like sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was, uh, from what I understand, so personal email addresses were disclosed in an email that was sent to businesses and organizations regarding the territory check-in app. And you could see everybody's mm. details, right? Uh, so this is not, this is not what they wanted. This is not. So they've said now, uh, the department of health takes the protection of your information seriously. And, I mean, <laughs> starting on, from now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus. And I want to assure your personal information is being managed in accordance with the NT health privacy policy. And then you got any concerns, take them to hazard management authority. Wow. I don't know what that what that group is, the mm. Hazard Management Authority or the Information Commissioner. Well, I know who he is. So, mm. uh, yeah, so I don't know. Like, I, I just, yeah, this seems like one of these things that, you know, there was another stuff up like this, similar with ochre cards and stuff this week, too, where wrong photos were being right. attached to people and stuff like this just seems like the public service again. I don't know if it is. It's got to be leadership. Like, I mean, this is these guys just continually screw up, and and then nobody's held accountable. Do you think anyone's going to be held accountable for this? Like, no, I highly doubt it. But uh, no, I know that the uh, businesses who've got hold of uh, Territorians' email addresses will be having a field day on the spam emails. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, I guess they're obligated under some federal laws. I think this was taken and raised with the Federal Privacy Commissioner automatically mm, or something. Right. <laughs> but And there are rules around it. But, yeah, I mean, this is probably a good day for some. And uh, there mm. you go. you got a bunch of, of emails to enter. But yeah, I can't I imagine that, 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 that many people will be happy about this. And, you know, what it comes down to is just confidence in the whole systems here. And for this to yeah. be the COVID thing where this happens to, it really diminishes the public's confidence in what's going on here and how they're managing things. And we get back into the NT public service being a joke. And Yeah. yeah. Uh, there is a good thing that's come out of it though. Um, I'm going to be releasing a new course next week on uh, teaching people how to BCC when they send out emails. <laughs> I know some people that that I worked with at News Corp who who could help you teach that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it I can't seems say like more than that, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
it seems like such an obvious thing, but still, from time to time, we do receive emails that have got 50,000 email addresses yeah. that you've got free access to. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think the last time I got one, it was from yeah, some group here, and it was like, oh, this is interesting now to see all the people on here and everything's <laughs> getting this. But yeah, but That's look, right. it should be happening. So, uh, here we go. Not well, good. mate, uh, that's a, a fantastic wrap uh, well, to a, a, you know, a week of just just story after story mm. about the same old, same old. Yeah, let's get um, it fixed here. You know, next week I think is going to be really interesting because we've got Parliament back and I think we're going to uh, hopefully, well, hopefully it's not just more of the kind of finger-pointing name-calling stuff that we start seeing something and you know gunner's got two weeks of parliamentary sittings here if he's going to make some changes to things you would think he would have announced it before now and this ringleader stuff i mean i don't think that's really going to help anybody that's not going to fix any of the problems so we'll see what happens next week but i imagine it's going to be a fiery week and um just you know some other stuff that's going on uh too in terms of some you know gossip on social media and stuff like that i wouldn't be surprised if that kind of stuff all comes out you know allegations made against mlas and advisors mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to get into it now but i think next week's going to be a very interesting week in the northern territory with parliament back so we'll see mm-hmm. what happens good job well done mate. thanks guys talk soon thanks chris that was chris walls from the nt independent online newspaper on the weekend edition of the territory story podcast weekends with Bolshi back again next week we'll catch you then You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.